Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 3. So let's just begin by, by looking at the first four verses. It says this, Now these are the records of the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These then are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nabab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. As we look at Numbers chapter 3, I want you to notice that it begins with genealogy. Have you noticed that in the Bible, many stories start with genealogy? Part of the reason is, even today, reciting genealogy is really an extremely important tradition in the Middle East. Last, uh, the last lesson in Numbers 2, we discussed this idea that Israel was to camp under two things. One was the, the standard, the standard of the tribe. So you had to know what your tribe is about, what your job duties were, what you were supposed to be busy doing, and you camped under that standard. But you also camped under your family banner. So not only did an individual family live under a standard of a tribe, but God gave certain responsibilities to each family. And it was their job to know their standard and their banner. So genealogy is important. How do I know what job God has given me or, or what job God has given the collection of believers around me unless I can trace that back to when God gave those instructions. Now, let me give you an example. Um, there's something you may not know about one of the tribes. Do you know what the tribe of Benjamin was known for in Scripture? See, at the end of Judges, we see this story about the tribe of Benjamin. We see this man, it says he was a Levite and his concubine, and they were leaving Bethlehem. And if you know where that is in light of the tribes, Bethlehem is actually in the tribe of Judah. And this man and his concubine were going north, it says, to the hill country of Ephraim. Well, to get to Ephraim, you have to pass through another tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. So as this Levite and concubine arrived in Benjamin on their way, it was nighttime. And there was no one that brought them into their house to care for them. And they may, that may not seem like a big deal to us. 
but you have to understand the Middle Eastern culture. See, hospitality is an absolute honor to, middle, to a Middle Easterner, even today. You, you don't go someplace and find yourself homeless for a night or find yourself without food for a night if you have a Middle Easterner around because it is a great honor for them to, to show hospitality, hospitality to you. So we're going to get into that at another time along the podcast, but in the story at the end of Judges, we do see eventually this older gentleman brings this man and his concubine in. And something happens that night. It says in the text that worthless fellows surrounded the house and they asked for this man to be brought out so that they could have relations with him. And instead, this older gentleman gave his virgin daughter and the man's concubine to these worthless fellows. What does that story remind you of? It's, it's a very clear look back to Genesis 19 in the story of Sodom, as in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you need to understand that because at the, at the end of the book of Judges, you must know that all the other tribes viewed Benjamin as the most despised tribe that there was. So we see that these other tribes get together and they defeat Benjamin. But there's something very interesting about this tribe of Benjamin because we see in Judges chapter 20, verse 16, that there was a group of Benjamites, and we see they were left-handed, but it says specifically that these men could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So do you see this tribe? One of the things they're known for is being able to be incredible marksmen with a slingshot. Now, if you don't know that backstory, then I don't think you get the fullness of another story in Scripture. There's a king that you've heard of that comes from the tribe of Benjamin. His name is Saul. Now, put that little detail in the story of David and Goliath. Here we see in this valley of Elah, this Goliath, this giant coming out for 40 days. By the way, 40 is always a number of testing in the Bible. So for 40 days, Goliath comes out and it says he taunted Israel morning and evening. That's 1 Samuel 17, verse 16. By the way, that's a clear uh, allusion to the two times that Jews would be praying, morning and evening, at their prayer time. So picture Goliath coming out for 40 days and taunting them. Who's being tested? The king, Saul. Did he pass the test? No. Now understand, he's a man... The first time we meet him in Scripture, he was looking for lost donkeys. That's Saul. 
God says, you wanted a king? Here's a king that fits what you're looking for. He's tall. He's handsome. He's everything that looks good to your eye. And he gives him Saul. And the first time we see Saul, he's chasing donkeys. Contrast that with David. The first time we meet David, what's he doing? He's faithfully shepherding sheep. So see that Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that other tribes looked at and despised, but also the tribe known for their marksmanship with a slingshot. Was Saul the one that used that slingshot against Goliath? No. It was actually David from the tribe of Judah that used the weapon that that, that the Benjamites knew well. Used the weapon that Saul probably knew very well to slay Goliath. So do you see how knowing a genealogy and tracing it back and knowing about the tribes can give us so much detail about a a story that otherwise we'll miss. So do you see why so often in Scripture a story starts with genealogy? It's tracing things back and it's there for a reason. So Numbers 3, it begins with a genealogy, but not just any genealogy. It starts with the genealogy of priests. Now, there's something that I want to clear up on this podcast because it's something that I was confused about for a long time. You see, a lot of times you see the words Levites and you see the words priests, and it's almost like they're used interchangeably. Here's the deal. All priests were Levites. You could not be a priest and not be from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. This is important as we continue to walk through Numbers 3 and Numbers 4 together and and then onward. See, Moses and Aaron come from the tribe of Levi. But here's the deal. If you're not a descendant of that line of Aaron, you're not a priest. So Aaron is the great-grandchild of Levi. Levi had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, uh, and Merari. Well, what if you came from one of the other sons? Kohath had a son named Amram. Amram had a son named Aaron and Moses. So if you didn't come from that specific line, you could not be priest. However, you could be Levite. You were a Levite. And in your notes, your episode notes with this podcast, I've included a chart, a diagram to help clear that up for you. And you can see the red line in that chart that goes from Levi to Aaron. But know that if you're on any other part of that line, you're still in the tribe of Levi. You're a Levite, but you're not a priest. So we're going to look at, over the next couple of chapters, the job descriptions of these Levites. 
So you may want to refer back to this chart as you're trying to keep these things in your head. So in our text, we see that Aaron had four sons. What happened to two of them? Well, Abahu, excuse me, Nabab and Abahu, they died, it says in verse 4, before the Lord when they offered, it said, strange fire. So they died. Way back in Leviticus 10, you see the story of these two men. And it says that they offer strange fire. Now understand this Hebrew word for strange fire. It it literally means when God expects one thing, but he gets something very different than what he expected. So God said, this is the type of offering I want. Yet these two men offered something very different. So God expected one thing and he received something different. And you know, the, the, the problem with that is I have to wrestle th- with this in my heart. How often has God giving me, given me his preferences and told me what he wanted of me? And then I, I go on to give him something completely different. And maybe even I pray, God, bless this. But that's not what he asked me to give him. Do you understand it was life and death with with these two men? When they offered strange fire, that's not what he expected. They were struck down dead. But our text says that there was a problem because these two men, it said, had no children. What did that mean for these other two men? If these two men, Nabab and Abihu, they died, they had no children, what about the other two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar? What did that mean for, for them? Well, it meant this. They better serve faithfully. They better not offer strange fire, or guess what happens to the priestly line? It's gone. But they also had to preserve the family line. I had a good friend in college, and many times when I was around him, one of the things he would talk about is that he was the last person in his family, the last male that had his last name. (laughs) And he would say, it's up to me to preserve the family line. And to prove that God has a sense of humor, he got married several years later. His first three children were girls. And then finally, his fourth child is, is, is a boy. But he understood what it meant to say, you know what? If I don't reproduce, the family line is gone. And understand, these two men, Eleazar and Ithamar, knew that they had to preserve the family name. They had to serve faithfully as priests, and they had to pass down the job description of a priest. You understand, if you bear the name of Christ, if you're a Christian, the importance of God's job description to you. He wants you to serve faithfully, not offer strange fire, not be busy giving him something he's not asking for, but he's also asking you 
to preserve the family name of Christ. You know, Eleazar and Ithamar felt the weight of that responsibility. Do you feel the weight of that responsibility to bear the name of Christ well, to live faithfully for him, and then to pass down to others what it means to look like Christ, to act like Christ, to serve like Christ, to be like Christ? Because that's your job description. Now, we get to verse 5, Numbers 3, verse 5, and it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and, and let's just stop right there. In Numbers 1, we discuss this word of where it says the Lord spoke. Every time in the book of Numbers, you see, and the Lord spoke, the Hebrew is way to beer. Now, this phrase is the hallmark of the book of Numbers. If you don't understand that the book of Numbers is about God's people learning to hear his voice, then you will miss a big portion of the book of Numbers. And I would encourage you, when you go through Numbers, circle or underline every place you see, and the Lord spoke, and you will see this 61 times. And they will start standing out. Even in this chapter alone, we see it multiple times. Keep looking for these and understand as we go through numbers together, it's all about learning to hear God's voice. Now, what did, what did the Lord tell Moses? Verse 6 says, here's what he told him. Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. The job of the Levites is to serve the priests. This word is such an important word in the Hebrew text. It's the root word of the word masharet. M-E-S-H-A-R-A-T. Masharet. Okay, masharet. You see the, the word masharet 90 seven times in Scripture. It's an important word. Now, what is a masharet? I'm convinced as Christians, if we would understand this one con biblical concept of masharet, we would have such healthier churches. This word, it describes someone who believes in the mission of their leader so much that that person is willing to do any menial task so that the leader can put their full energy into whatever ta task God has given them. So in a church, if you have a pastor who you know is called by God to lead your congregation. A masharet is a person who comes alongside and says, I know God has given you a big job for our church. So I want to come along and help you in any task that will take your eyes off what God has for you. 
Musharat is someone who comes alongside maybe a music minister. Do you understand that God has a plan for his church? But so many times leaders get discouraged because there's nobody coming alongside them and encouraging them. There's nobody coming alongside them and taking the load off of their shoulders to help them in the mission God gives them. There's nobody coming alongside them doing the heavy lifting and also know we have an enemy that does his absolute best to weigh down the leaders that God has given us. So are you being a masharet to the leaders God has given you? So understand the Levite's job is to be a masharet to the priests. So let's say the tabernacle was going to move from point A to point B. Who's going to carry it? Is it going to be the priests? No, they have a job to do when they get there. It's going to be the Levites. They're going to be the ones to carry the ark, and that's exactly what we see in Scripture. They're the ones that tear down the tabernacle, get it together, transport it, put it back up. That's not the priest's job. That's the Levite's job because they're the Masharit. And we see over and over in Scripture, even in the New Testament, the same concept. So, for instance, if I'm a Masharit, my leader's not going to be rowing the boat. If we're going to the other side, the leader's going to be the one sleeping to rest so that when we get to the other side, he's able to do his job well. You see, the disciples understood their job as being Masharits, and they did it well. Your job, Christian, is to understand your role as a Masharit. And to understand that God has given you certain people in your life that their job is to guide you spiritually. And in order for them to do their job well, you need to believe in that mission so much that you want to help them out by removing any heavy load that might be on their plate so that they can do their absolute best to hear God's voice and pass it on to you and sharpen you, and build you. So the Levites, they were to be Masharits to the priests. Let's keep looking. There's so much in this chapter, but look down with me in verse 11. We're going to look at verse 11 through 13. It says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, way at a beer, saying, Now, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn the first issue of the womb among the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel. From man to beast, they shall be mine, I and the Lord. In Exodus 13, to understand what he's saying here, you have to go back to what happened in Exodus, the last play in Exodus 11 was this plague where every Egyptian firstborn male and every firstborn male animal was killed. And God passed over the Jews when they put that lamb's blood around the doorway. And, and it, it allowed the Israelites to go free from the Egyptians 
It set them free. But here's the thing that happens in Exodus 13. God says, as payment for what I did to the Egyptians, I want every one of your firstborn males and your animals. Same price I paid for the Egyptians, to the Egyptians, for you. That's what I require as redemption. So that's what became the price paid because of what God did to the Egyptians in Exodus 11. Well, then we make it to Numbers. And that firstborn male or animal was replaced. When God looked at the Levites and he says, I want that tribe. You no longer have to offer this certain sacrifice for for what I did to the Egyptians. The redemption comes because of this group of people, the Levites, and they're going to serve me their whole life. Then we get to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we find out that God himself became our perfect lamb that offered that redemption. One thing I've never seen in all of my study is this idea that redemption, yes, of my sins, is important because of the, of the blood of Christ. But do you understand it also pays for the blood sacrificed by the Egyptians that God freed Israel with? There are no more Levites paying for our redemption in Exodus. We don't pay for our firstborn males or animals anymore. But if you are not covered by the blood of Jesus, not only are your sins not atoned for, but the redemption price of what God did in Exodus has still never been paid either. And that's just another layer of what Jesus did on the cross. It's just another thing to add to the story of how good Jesus is. He's not only the redeemer of our sins. He's the redeemer. He paid the price of what God was owed for what he did way back in Exodus. And we don't get that because we don't have a Middle Eastern mindset. We don't understand redemption because that's not something that we do in our culture. But if you're in this culture, you understand redemption is a big deal. And God said, Jesus became the redemption for what I did way back in Exodus. Much of this chapter in Numbers 3 talks about the specific roles of the Levites. We talked about a few moments ago that there were three sons of Levi. Well, in this chapter, in verses 21 to 38 we see God give specific roles to the different family lines of the tribe. So, for instance, uh, the Merarites uh, were at the north, and they had very specific jobs of, of trying to help with frames and bars and pillars and pegs and things in the tabernacle. The Gershonites camped to the west, 
and they had specific jobs as far as uh, helping with the carrying the tabernacle and the tent coverings and the curtains and things like that. The Kohathites, they camped in the south. They are the ones who carried the ark, the table of showbread, the lampstands. So I want you to see Levites had different jobs, and we will get into that in more detail in Numbers 4. But you got to understand, God gives very specific directions to different groups of people. See, to the east was Moses and the priests. They protected the entrance of the tabernacle. In your study um, notes, I will also put a picture of where they camped so that if you get a moment, you can look at that and see where God placed his people. I want to finish this look at Numbers 3 with something that truly is so important, I think, for all of us to understand. And when I read this and studied this the very first time, it stopped me in my tracks. Listen to this verse in Numbers 3, start in verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, way at a beer, in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the sons of Levi by their father's households, by their families. Every male from a month old and upward you shall number. You know, I remember when I was in high school. One of the thoughts that, that, I, that, I, that often crossed my mind was this. You know, I'm going to serve God when I'm older. See, for some reason, I thought you had to be a certain age before somebody can start making a difference for God's kingdom. I just thought, okay, I need to finish high school. I need to finish college. Maybe then God can use me. And here's the, the sad reality. Working with the youth, I have found that that same mindset still applies, that they truly, many of them believe, there's not a lot they can do right now for God in his kingdom. We have an enemy that wants us to believe this lie that we have plenty of time to serve God when we're older. But understand, the sons of Levi were numbered beginning at one month of age. Do you remember back in Numbers 1, there was a census, and it said in Numbers 1 that they were to count everyone from age 20 years and up every male 20 years and up. So why do we see in Numbers 1, God tell them to number from 20 years and up, and then we get to Numbers 3 and the tribe of Levi, and God says, oh, by the way, when they're a month old, go ahead and start counting them. That's a big difference. Well, Numbers 1, if you remember, you're counting every male 20 years old and upward because it was the purpose of war. You're trying to find your fighting men. Not many one-month-olds are really ready for battle yet. But then we get to Numbers 3, and God says, you know what? If they're a month old, count them. Why? It was an entirely different reason of numbering in Numbers 3. God had a special purpose set aside for the tribe of Levi, 
Again, verses 6 and 7, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him, masharet him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. So the Levites were numbered at one month. God didn't say, no, wait till they finish high school and midway through college when they're 20. Okay, start numbering them. I can use them then. He says, if they're one month old, guess what? Number them. And they're going to provide service in the tabernacle. They didn't have to wait till they were older to start serving God. God continues to press on me this idea that we have to make every day count for Him. My four children do not have to wait until their college years or older to be of service to the King. As a matter of fact, I've witnessed God use my kids in incredible ways already. God can use anyone for his kingdom, no matter their age. We have to understand this. So many times in our churches, we push the children's ministry to the side or the youth ministry to the side. Oh, they're just in training. One day, maybe they're useful. No, to God, in his eyes, he looks at them and he knows that they can be used right now. I tell our youth frequently this. You're in a stage of life right now where you have one shot at making an impact at who God's placed around you. See, I look back at my high school years and many of those friends that I had in high school that I saw every single day at school, I now never see. I never have a chance to talk to them. My window for impacting them for Christ is closed. And then the same thing goes for my college years. I look back, I had some incredible friends, some incredible friends that I was around every day. I had one shot to make the most of my time with them and point them to Christ. And understand that Satan wants to make our kids think, you know what? You're not useful for God's kingdom until you're older. It's our job as adults to train them and to teach them that, no, God thinks you count now. So make the most of your time. Make the most of your days. Make the most of your relationships. And see, my role as a daddy is to teach my kids the importance of serving our king. They don't have to wait till they're older. Each one of them can play a role in his story right now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I look forward to continuing to look at numbers with you in the future. 